Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Tara Allenen, founder and CEO of Emerald Lake Books, a hybrid book publishing company for independent authors. Additionally, Tara is also a multi-award winning author of seven books. Emerald Lake Books provides a unique blend of business coaching with publishing to help its authors succeed by using a unique goal-oriented approach to publishing to help authors set and attain goals for their readers, their brands, and their books. Their services include cover design, book formatting, publishing, website development, strategy for and creating social media presence, search engine optimization, audio and video editing and production, and developing marketing materials, all to help authors to better reach their fans. Today, we're going to talk about how you can use the power of writing and publishing a book to demonstrate your credibility and your expertise. We'll learn what has worked from Tara's experience, what maybe could be avoided, and where people are missing the mark. Tara, welcome. Thank you, Stacey. It's wonderful to be here. So happy to have you here today. I love talking about books and publishing and authority setting. And you can have our listeners learn a little bit more about you by giving us some background. So I started out uh, my first company when I was 19, and I was doing technical writing for Fortune 500 and 100 companies. And it's, it's interesting because now that I'm 50, I'm, I'm looking back on some of the things I learned back then and seeing how they apply now to what I'm doing. I love telling the story in the beginning of my, my latest book, Published with Purpose, about the fact that when I was working with technical writing, I was documenting software programs. And so I was the intermediary between the developers and the users. And the developers were off, you know, they were happy little coders developing the neat products that they wanted to do and all these bells and whistles that they thought would be fantastic and not really having conversations with the users as to what they actually needed. And so the, so the software would get rolled out and the users would go, ah, you know, this doesn't do this and it doesn't do that and all these different things. And so I'm finding the same thing happens with authors. We are so passionate about the message that we have to share that we sit down and we start writing what we want to write and we don't really think about who is going to read this and what are they looking to get out of the book? And so one of the things that I'm really passionate about is helping people marry together the what is it that they really want to write about to what is the reader that they want to be talking to and what do they need? You are a very good interpreter, basically. (laughs) Yes, yes. That is good. I've I've played that middle ground way too many times and, and seen way too many disconnects. And it's neat when you get people to actually connect because that's a huge part of marketing and building your brand. That makes sense. So what got you into the world of book publishing? Oh, a very long, long, long journey. So as I said, I started out technical writing. I knew a lot about developing books because of working, uh, working with that. And over time, my career kind of transitioned through a bunch of different stages. Um, my business died as a result of 9-11. Uh, after 16 years. And so I went and got my first job in my middle 30s, and that lasted for a little while. And uh, when that ended in 2009, right after the recession, it was like, all right, what do I do now? <laughs> you know? And uh, it was interesting because I joined a mastermind group, and I had some friends in that group who were writing their books. Mm-hmm. And they needed an editor, and they needed somebody to do the layout of the book. 
And for my technical writing background, I could do that. So I did that for probably seven or eight books before I finally realized that there was nothing pointing back to me as a brand. There was no way to generate business or let people know what I was doing. And so I ended up uh, creating Emerald Lake Books. And, and the story of the name is kind of fun because I live on a road called Green Pond. It's Green Pond Road. And I found a map when I first moved here that was from 1973 where the body of water that this name, uh, road is named after was called Emerald Lake. And I keep trying to envision this town ordinance meeting of going and somebody petitioning to change Emerald Lake to Green Pond. I mean, Green Pond makes you think of scuzzy, you know, water, algae-filled stuff. Emerald Lake is beautiful. So, yeah. Uh, when my, I had, tur my turtle would love living in Green Pond <laughs> that I have. But uh -huh. Emerald Lake is like, we all would like to, like, live on its shorelines. Yes, exactly. And so when I had to name my business, it was like, it's going to be Emerald Lake Books. So... That's, That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. And then now you have already published seven books yourself and you have, I think, another book coming up. So, I, I've written seven myself. Written seven. Uh, published a few dozen. Yeah. Okay. So written yourself. Yes. Yourself. So did that come before you actually started Emerald Lake or is that part of having started it? It's actually part of why I, why I started it. Okay. I self-published five different books in different ways and, uh, I, there were mistakes with each self-publishing experience. And you weren't were perfect? You're not, I wasn't, you weren't I wasn't perfect, perfect to start? No, okay. the first okay. time there were hiccups. Okay. And, yeah. and it was kind of funny because the first time there were hiccups and I thought, all right, well, I'll, look, I'll know better. And so the second time I expected it to go well, but there were different mistakes that I encountered. And the third time there were still other mistakes that I encountered. Yeah. You know? So after a while, it was like, well, I'd done five books. A sixth book was coming out. And I was just thinking, you know, I can write, but there's nothing that I'm inspired to write right now. I'd much rather help people avoid these issues that I've run into. And because I'm kind of a perpetual learner, I love learning new things all the time. I really started digging into publishing itself, just, just what the standards were and how you do it right and how you can, what are some of the common mistakes that people who choose to self-publish make? Because there's some very easy to distinguish errors that a book uh, seller will look at and they can quickly tell whether something's self-published if they see these common errors. And so okay. it was like, all right, let's, let's get away with, you know, make sure that we're not doing any of those. Let's start refining our process. But part of my background as well was business process analysis. It was, it was, you know, looking at processes and making them work better. Right. And doing social media marketing became part of it as well. So ultimately what I decided to do was blend together business coaching with the publishing so that as we were working on the production of the book, I was coaching our authors on how to develop their business or brand with it. Mm -hmm. And we have these exercises that we put together, which are outlined in Publish With Purpose, that help them kind of do different parts along the way so that they're not left at the launch trying to figure out what they need to do, why and when you know, they've learned along the way. That makes sense. You know, it's funny. I tell a lot of clients when we're in, you know, pitch mode and they have questions about our pricing or, you mm -hmm. know, Hey, can I pay you less money than, you know, what you said that you're going to be? <laughs> yep. It happens. Right. It and yeah, to everyone. And what people have to understand, and so the whole thing that you've just outlined is people hire you and work with you or with me because of all the mistakes we've made so yes. that people won't have to make them again. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I actually, I like to liken it to the fact that when you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, you start out and you almost proudly proclaim that you're chief cook and bottle washer as well as, you know, doing all the client stuff. But if you're going to grow your business, 
you ultimately need to start help, you know, hiring people to help you with the things that yeah. you don't need to do so that you can focus on the things that you do need to do. Yeah. It, it's the same when you're publishing a book. You know, it's, it's all well and good to initially start out and do the self-publishing and, and, and all of that, but you run into the issue of creating problems that you didn't know. And when your brand is tied into your book and you're trying to build a business around that message, that's your first impression for some people. Yep. You know, and what first impression do you want to make? So instead of trying to figure it all out on your own, it makes a lot of sense to, to partner with or work with people who can guide you through that process, I think. Totally makes sense. And hello to your cat that just popped into the frame. Sorry about that. Yes, thank no. you. <laughs> no, it's great. Love cats. He's, he's the uh, COO. He's, he's, the, he's the chief optimist officer. <laughs> well, your cat is much more polite than my dogs because they don't pop into frame. They just start barking. Yes. Well, my, my cat likes to actually get in front of the camera and the computer when he thinks that it's time for me to be done working. Oh, Thank you very much. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> yes. You have a stop work alarm clock. I do. I do. He's black and fuzzy and sheds go. hair everywhere at this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about what are the mistakes that are so common that so many people make when they go out and start self-publishing? And I'm super eager to know these things because I'm in the midst of trying to publish as well. So I have a feeling you're going to open up for our listeners and for me, a whole vast array of things that we had no idea we're waiting to encounter. There's some very simple telltale signs in the layout of a book, in the design of the interior. So when you open up a book, there's certain standards, whether the book is fiction or nonfiction, it's gonna change. So for instance, for nonfiction books, your chapter should always start on a right-hand page. So even if your prior chapter ends on a right hand, you're gonna have a blank left-hand page before your next chapter starts. If they run together and I see chapters starting on a left-hand page, I know that designer didn't <laughs> know what they were doing quite. Also, the chapter page, the, that first page of the chapter, the header is typically, the header and footer are typically different than the interior pages of a chapter. So for instance, you may find that the first page of a chapter has no header and it has a centered page number on, in the footer. And then when you go to the next page, the, the next left and right hand page within the chapter, those page numbers are going to be in the footer on the outer edge. So they're gonna, one's gonna be on the left, the other's gonna be on the right. And the header, you'll have typically the title on one side and the chapter name on the other. But there's certain things that you know to, to look for when you're looking at the design that, you know, if these standards aren't met, it's fairly quick and easy to tell, all right, this is done by somebody who just didn't know the rules. Uh, your, that, that right now, a common mistake I'm seeing is that people will format their book to look like their blog. Right. So they'll use uh, spacing between paragraphs and no first line indent. That's all well and good on your website, but it's not the way books are supposed to be formatted. Books are supposed to have no spacing between the paragraphs and a first line indent. So that's another common issue to see. When you get to the outside, to the cover, uh, one, of the, one of the problems we run into is a lot of people say, well, I have a friend or a neighbor or a nephew who's a graphic designer and they made the cover for me. That's wonderful that you that's, had. That, that's a lovely expression you have on your face right now. For <laughs> anyone who's listening and not watching, she's just like, oh dear, no. <laughs> it's wonderful that you have somebody who wants to support you in that way, but not every graphic designer is a cover designer. There are certain standards that cover designers know about. So for instance, if you look at a professionally designed cover, there's one of two rules that are either being followed. One is the rule of thirds, which is where typically you'll have uh, your title in the top 
you'll have something visual in the middle and on the bottom you'll have the author information, right? The other is they follow the golden ratio. So if you look at, for instance, the cover of the help, if you were to draw a, a spiral on the cover, you would see that the eye is drawn to the various things on the cover. So you start in the lower corner because you've got the author's name there, it goes up and you end up at the bird that's on the wire. And so your eye is being drawn across the cover to hit all of the things that need to be seen, the author's name, the title, and then that visual. So there's certain things that you're looking for in the cover uh, design that oftentimes graphic designers, they're thinking more like how you design a flyer or a poster. And it doesn't look anything like a cover. Um, the other issue is when you create your barcode for the ISBN that's on the back cover, if you want the book to be in bookstores, you want to make it easy for bookstores to carry it. And so one of the ways that you do that is you embed the price in the barcode, right? So you don't just have the ISBN, but you have the price embedded as well, which means that when somebody brings the book to the checkout, they can scan it. And not only do they know what book it is, but what price it is. Mm -hmm. If you don't embed the price, you're just telling them what book it is. And then they have to go and look on the cover to find, all right, is the list price here someplace for me? Do I have to look it up? It's in my computer system. So you want to always make things as easy as possible for retailers to carry your book. If you make it difficult, then they're either going to have to sticker your book. And one of the issues when a bookstore has your book in, in, in store is that they purchase returnable copies because say they purchase 10 copies. If only three of them sell, they want to make sure that they're not stuck with seven copies. Right. So they actually can return them at any point in time. Now, if you haven't put the price in the, in the barcode and they've had to put a sticker on it, mm -hmm. you've got books with stickers on them, which makes it very hard for you then to turn around and resell them. Right. Like having consignment store stickers on all of your clothing that you're shopping yes. around. Yes, exactly. Okay. So those yeah. are just some of the things, but they're, they're quick and easy to, to see when you know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And those are not anything that I think I ever would have thought of in any single solitary case. <laughs> Which is why having somebody who can guide you through the process is a very helpful thing. Yes. So do you work with both fiction and nonfiction writers? We've actually just published our first couple of fiction books this year. So okay. we've been primarily focusing on nonfiction because so much of what we do with our authors is about how they build their business and brand around right. it. But we're actually working with a couple of fiction authors right now who want to be professional authors. Mm -hmm. so that is their business and that is their brand. And so we're working with them to kind of develop strategies for building that platform for them. That's awesome. So when someone has written a book, mm -hmm. do they just reach out to you and say, hey, I've written a book. I want to get it published. What do I do now? Like, can you walk us through like what happens? Well, we actually do have an application process. Um, we don't, we have certain standards that we apply so that we maintain a very high quality of what we put out there. Okay. And so actually it's, it's kind of neat because this year uh, it is not even September yet. And our authors have already won eight awards this year. That's great. Uh, you know, because we really focus on, on that quality and right. uh, gives them something that because they're building and brand around it is important. But if somebody wants to work with us, we have an application form they fill out. If it looks like a good fit for us and a conversation we want to continue, we do ask to see the manuscript. And then from there, we, do, we don't do package pricing because every book needs something different. Every author needs something different. So we give you an estimate based on what we're seeing that particular book needing and what you're, you want to accomplish with it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. That's awesome. Okay. 
and, and we work from with authors from any stage that they're at. So we actually have ghostwriters that we can work with and author coaches that we can work with. If you're starting out with, you've got this idea, but you can't get going mm-hmm. to, you know, I've got a manuscript and I want to get going on it now. And, uh, you know, that's typically most of the folks that we work with, they have the manuscript, they just need to polish it and finish it. Okay. And then when someone polishes and finishes their manuscript, mm-hmm. you help them figure out what to do. I mean, you're not suggesting that they go out and find a literary agent and sell it out. You are actually handling the whole self-publishing plan for them. We are actually, we are actually publishing for them. Yep. So rather than uh, them being considered a self-published book at that point in time, they're an indie published book. Okay. And so we are a hybrid, hybrid publisher. We are paid for the services we render. But when we're doing it, you have the benefit of being published by a, a legitimate publisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you self-publish, one of the things to know is that when you self-publish, you purchase an ISBN number. Every unique format of a book has an ISBN, and that's a unique identifier of it. When a bookstore or a retailer looks at that ISBN, they can tell whether or not that is a single author, single title mm-hmm. ISBN or if that's a multi-author, multi-title ISBN. Mm -hmm. You stand a much better chance of getting into stores if you are using a multi-author, multi-title, because they know then that if you're still, if that publisher is still in business, they're probably doing something right. Right. (laughs) So you stand a better chance of getting your foot in the door. It's not a guarantee, but it certainly makes things easier. Okay. And so you go out, do y'all print everything? Do you have some uh, place that actually prints or is it a print on demand type scenario or how does all that work? We can do a combination of both. Uh, We don't have in-house printing, but we have a list of printers that we've vetted that we've worked with in the past and are confident do good good work. Uh, When we're looking at printers, uh, when we vet them, we're actually asking them for samples of their paper and their ink and their foils and all these different things so we see the quality they can produce. Mm -hmm. Uh, But most of our authors will do print on demand. That way they don't have to have a garage or a basement filled with boxes of books that they don't know how to move. Yeah. Print on demand is much easier to do. Yeah. Uh, You know, we've got some folks that are are speakers they love having a quantity to have on hand for you know back of room sales mm-hmm. uh, or you know as part of their their uh, sometimes with conferences they can make arrangement that if the conference for instance can't pay them maybe what they'll do is they'll purchase a copy of the book for all of the attendees and so that gets the book out among all of the audience uh, so there's different arrangements you can make there and at that point in time yes you do want to have a, a bulk set of books available and we can help you do that Okay. And then what is a turnaround time? Someone says, okay, you know, I have my manuscript. I've gotten it over to you. You've approved me. You want to work with me. Yay. And so where does it go from there? Is this a quick process? And obviously if the book's not written and you need a ghostwriter, not as quick a process. Exactly. Exactly. But But how does that work? If the manuscript is already uh, there and say it's primarily text, there's not a lot of additional design like charts and photographs and all these different things. We can do something in about three to four months, uh, depending on how much work the book itself needs. Uh, if it's needing just a line edit or a content edit, that's, that's much easier to do than if, for instance, it needs a development edit. Uh, because we're able to do all of those varying types of edits, but a development edit often re- involves taking the book and almost deconstructing it and building it back together in a new, new format, new order. Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing that, that can add a couple of months to the whole timeline. But it can make a huge difference in the in the final result as well. Okay. And so if someone decides that they're going to actually print and they don't necessarily have an entire garage, basement, or warehouse built <laughs> their books, 
Mm-hmm. Do you help them as well try to get it into retailers to sell, or is that something that is separate? So th- there are certain aspects of that. I refer to distribution as, as one of two things. You have active and you have passive. Uh, so in active distribution, somebody is actually going to be going out to those retailers and promoting it and trying to get them to get it in the store. We're not big enough to do that yet. Uh, we hope to be some point. Uh, we do passive distribution, which means that what we're doing is it is available for any retailer to purchase. Um, they, we create sell sheets for our authors, which are one page flyers that are totally focused on the book. It has, uh, retail information and wholesale information on it, ISBNs, cover description, cover image, cover description, all of that. And so we coach as part of our homework, we coach our authors on how to do bookstore and library outreach so that they can make those steps. Because one of the things about marketing a book, and it's the same with marketing a business, it is, it's a journey, not a destination. It's not something that you do and now you never have to do it again. Uh, so when we're working, we kind of prioritize what, based on the goals that our authors have said that they want to achieve, what steps are necessary to get there. Mm-hmm. And what we find oftentimes is bookstores and libraries, while they're nice to have, they're not the things that are going to move the needle for most authors. You want to focus on things like um, interviews like this one, you know, having conversations with leveraging other people's audiences where you can create valuable content, give, give great information and get people to know who you are so that then they're interested in the book. They're interested in working with you, whatever that might be. Right. I'm interested right now. I'm like, <laughs> I want to see your book. You came up with all these things that I hadn't even thought of and thinking about my own book. And I'm like, oh, that means her book has even more things that are valuable in it. Yes, I think so. We had, we, I had a lot of fun putting together because it was, uh, it was almost like this retrospective of going back over, uh, we, we launched Emerald Lake Books in 2014. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's going back over these years and looking at how our methods have grown and matured and developed over time to the extent now that we feel so confident when we work with our authors about helping them identify the goals that are right for them and their business and what they want to achieve. Because so many times authors will focus on book sales as being the key metric of success of their book. But unfortunately, first time authors, this number is going up this year. And, you know, now I'm hearing people say first time authors over the lifetime of the book will sell probably about 250 copies. It just a couple of years ago, it was 100 copies over the lifetime. That's actually higher than I would anticipate. So that must mean that there's some authors who are just selling the heck out of it and some who are like, yeah, I got my five sales, yay. (laughs) Well, I think it's partly that, but I also think there's so much more readily available information about marketing for authors now that I think they're starting to get better at it. Okay. Starting to to make some headway there. Uh, But if you're thinking about 250 copies of of books, by the time you pay the print fee, by the time you give bookstores discounts on, you know, wholesale rates and and things like that, you're probably making anywhere between a buck to $5 a copy. If you're selling, say, 200 copies, that's at most $1,000 you're getting back. That's not, to me, a sign of success. No, but that leads us into why books are so important still to do. Yes, exactly. Because there are so many things that you can do with your book, like introducing people to who you are and what you do, like helping them solve problems on their own, that when they get to more complicated problems, now they want to come pick your brain, you know, how do I fix this? Mm -hmm. Uh, You can build your mailing list with them. Uh, You can include them as part of a funnel, you know, into your business. Um, So we do things, we have what we refer, refer to as business building elements within the book, 
they give readers the opportunity to engage with us more. But then we also have opportunities that drive people to the book. So it becomes part of the funnel that we work with when we're, we're trying to uh, relate to people. Okay. When we have a new high paying client, they get the book because this is the outline of what we're going to be doing together. This is what you can anticipate. If you want to start thinking about it now, great. You know, that just makes things easier for us as a business because now we have better ed educated uh, people that we're working with. We have higher qualified prospects. Uh, we're building our mailing list. We're creating visibility for ourselves. And I tell you, the process of writing a book, if you're a speaker, a coach, a consultant, it really helps you clarify your message. And when you're sitting across the table from a prospect having a conversation, you don't want to be stumbling around trying to figure out the answers to the questions they're asking you. So, yeah. And, of course, it's the fact that people are still somewhat you know, they put you on a pedestal almost if you've written a book, because it sounds like such a daunting task yes. that it just boosts your authority sky high immediately mm -hmm. from being yep. able to say, oh, I'm a published book author. Yes. It's a great conversation starter. Uh, yeah. One of my passions is, uh, my, one of my hobbies is I'm a winemaker. And so there'll be times when I'm at the winery having conversations uh, with people that have just come in for a wine tasting or whatever. And as soon as you say you're an author, it's like they want to know everything about you. You know, how did you start? What was it like? You know, all these different things. So, so it's a great way of networking. You know, if, if you're one of those folks who go to networking meetings and struggle with what am I going to talk about? Writing a book is a great conversation starter. <laughs> right. Because all of a sudden, because you've written a book, obviously, you know, 50 to 75,000 words that someone might find a value that you've put down into a book. So you're mm -hmm. definitely worth probing and getting value out of that conversation you're having. Exactly. Exactly. And, and one of the things that we, we do is um, we've never focused on creating best-selling authors because it's just such an easy thing to game anymore. Um, it, the, the panache of being able to say that you're a best-selling author, unless you can say you're Wall Street Journal or New York Times or USA Today, uh, you can game Amazon so easily to be a best-selling author. And it has no meaning because you can actually make zero dollars and be a best-selling author on Amazon. Now, to me, that's that's kind of doesn't make sense. Best selling, you would assume, would have revenue associated with it, but is, is that because Amazon does a lot of uh, giveaways with Kindle and things along those lines? So you might be moving a lot of titles, but you're not actually moving dollars. Not not so much. What it can be is is you know if you choose categories where the number one book in the category hasn't really sold a lot of copies, and you manage to sell uh, in a giveaway. Uh, you know, you, so you do a KDP day, uh, right? So if you're in KDP select, you can have up to five days that are free days, right? Yeah. So you can have a thousand people download a free copy of your book and become a bestseller on Amazon and not have sold a single copy. Yep. All right. And, and so to me, it's all gaming the system. So bestseller really doesn't have the connotation anymore. And if you want to go for a New York Times or Wall Street Journal or something like that, it will cost you about $100,000 in marketing budget to be able to do that. So, you know, not many entrepreneurs have that to, to, to put out there. So what we focus on is, you know, this quality aspect. If you're able to go to a conference and say you're an award-winning author, you know, lots of speakers are authors now. So how do you distinguish yourself? I'm an award-winning sure. author. That makes such a huge difference. And the awards that we deal with or that we recommend our authors uh, participate in, they're all juried awards. So they're 
judged by librarians, by retailers, by industry peers or professionals. Uh, it's not one of the popularity contests where you have right. to beg all your friends to go vote for your book because <laughs> right. that doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, but when you can, you can say that now somebody else is saying that the content you have to share is valuable. Uh, we actually, one of our authors, Susanna Liller, wrote a book called You Are a Heroine. And she talks about a retelling of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And she talks about how on this journey, women take this journey differently than men do. So when women encounter dragons in their journey, they're more likely to embrace them and try and understand them and see them as the protector that dragons are intended to be than somebody to go comfort, uh, confront and kill like men would. <laughs> right. And, and so she's got this great book, uh, came out in September. And in the last three weeks, she's won three different awards. Right. Now she's building a coaching business for women who want to be more bold in their life. Okay. And so being able to, you know, have all of this affirmation that, you know, her content is valuable and that it's enjoyable and that it's entertaining uh, makes it much easier to sell the book and, and get people to actually want to coach with her. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. I mean, it's literally a business calling card that opens doors for you. Yes, exactly. And that's your dog. You have a dog too, don't you? I do. She's outside. We have a bear in the neighborhood. And, uh, the, you know, so. Your bear dog, likes the green pond. Yes, the bear likes the, well, he likes the Quimby Swamp that's near Green Pond. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to be able to pinpoint where I live now. <laughs> I know. Everyone's going to be able to GPS it and figure it all out. Uh-huh. I'm just so happy. I'm not the only one who has dogs that bark during podcasts. So it's fantastic. Well, actually, while I was waiting for the call to start, I live across the street as well from an airport and helicopters were doing touch and goes right before them. Normally, they're Thursday mornings. I don't normally schedule anything podcast wise for Thursday mornings because I know they'll be there. And it was like, this is Friday afternoon. What are you doing? Well, you are now the second podcast that I have learned that seemingly on a Friday afternoon that I schedule. And I mentioned it right before our call, but you're starting to see me. If anyone's watching the video, I am literally like, I am glowing. I have sun shining down a skylight that... I never would have thought of when I set up our desk position in here. And when I tell my husband that, oh, we have to move our desks into the office, he's not going to go for it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I have a very bright skylight and I'm just going to hover closer to the video monitor a little bit. You have to figure out how to put curtains on it or something. I might have to, yes, but it, it's lovely. But it does. You look yeah. wonderful. Very yeah. radiant. It's very nice lighting. <laughs> yes. So what type of books work better than others as far as subject matter as being calling cards or does it work for everyone out there? I think the main thing is to make sure that you infuse it with your personality. Okay. Uh, people like to connect with people. And so it's, it's all well and good to you know, write a book that's very informative and, and instructive. But if it's too much like a textbook, they're not as likely to get as much out of it mm -hmm. as if they feel like they're really getting to know you in the process. And so, you know, if you outline a book and, and you're working through it, you know, we recommend that as you're making your main points in each chapter, that you're, you're also sharing stories in there because the storytelling is what's going to get them to understand who you are, how you view the world and, and things like that and, and build that relationship. Because if you're going to use it as a calling card to get people to work with you, mm -hmm. you want to know that by the time they actually talk to you, that 
they know who you are, that they're comfortable with you. If you have a unique brand of humor, if you have a unique way of speaking, you know, if you like to use foul language, which I don't, but you know, there's a it lot. It works of, for some. It, it does for some, you know, and, yeah. and so, you know, including in the book makes a lot of sense because if they are going to reach out to work with you, you want to be, uh, you don't want it to be incongruous. You want the, right. them to feel like the person they're working with is the person they've been reading. And yeah. so I really like making sure that our authors keep that uh, part of the book in there. Um, I have a friend, Robert Imbriali, who, who, who published a book with, with another publishing company years ago. And he said he was so disappointed when he got the book back from the editor because that particular publishing company took all of him out of it. And in doing that, left him with this sense of, you know, where was he in the book? His personality was completely gone. And when he complained about it, they were like, well, you could put it back in, but we don't think it will sell as well. And it's, it's really, it's about your brand. You know, at our agency at Hollywood Branded, we spend so much time looking for ways that brands can jump into other people's content that matches their brand, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you're working with an influencer, you're trying to find an organic opportunity to align with someone else who perfectly matches with your brand or elevates your brand. And so there's no point in writing a book that's not about your brand as well. I right. mean, that's the only thing that you have. You're selling your brand, your uniqueness, your individuality. Exactly. Exactly. Although it's funny because as you're talking, I'm thinking about the, uh, the blog post that I was reading of yours about Starbucks cup and the game of Thrones thing, you know, and it's, it's like, sometimes showing up someplace that you're unexpected can be equally uh, interesting. You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you can go viral from that and then uh, manage to hit all corners of the globe. And yes. Yes. Even our agency got to revel on that a little bit. It's been quite the ride. And, and that's part of the thing too, is watching the trends, yeah. understanding how you can tie into what's being currently talked about. Yeah. Because you know, you start talking about the cup in, in Game of Thrones and yeah, you're going to become part of the conversation and, right. and create visibility. So I think that was absolutely wonderful. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it was a big success. I've worked on a lot of different, thank you, done a lot of interviews over the years and it's always amazing what gets noticed and what gets calls and mm -hmm. you never know what will. And the smallest article that you think that you're just commenting on someone will all of a sudden blow up and become viral and get you $65 million or more earned media value and mm -hmm. 4 billion online impressions. That doesn't happen often. Mm -hmm. no. mm -hmm. I, and I always yeah. find it interesting because if you watch your analytics, I don't know if you're fascinated by your analytics mm -hmm. on your website, but the, the things that people are most interested in our yeah. website are the things that I rarely think to talk about, yeah. you know, the, the two top blog posts right now are what is an ISBN okay. <laughs> and how do you set a list price? Yeah. And it's like, all right, you know, I, I'm glad that people are finding value in that content. It's not something that I typically yeah. stand around and talk about, but you know, as an author, it's something you need to know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think one of our most popular blogs right now is not how much product placement costs or how to work with influencers or all these detailed how to's. I think one of them is one of our team wrote one on how you can watch content at home before it comes out in movie theaters. And that thing just is like, everyone wants to see me <laughs> watch content at home before it's coming out in movie theaters at the same time. Or Kim Kardashian, a lot. People really like Kim Kardashian. Uh -huh. We have to embrace her, no matter what. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just, it's, yeah, it's whatever people are interested in. <laughs> yeah, what people are interested in. Mm -hmm. So what are 
you know, the next steps for someone, you know, listening, what do they need to do? They have an idea, where do they need to go? How do they need to put it down on paper? You know, what do they need to do in order to bring this to life? I, I think that, you know, every writer has a different way of doing things. Some people are very structured. They like outlining their book and, and filling it all in and, and that. I actually published with purpose. I dictated it. I created an outline. I had my high level bullet points and then I dictated the whole book, uh, which meant that interestingly enough, on February 1st, I did not have word one written. 77 days later, I had the book in my hands, endorsed with a forward by a leading authority, uh, all these different things. So, it's, you know, it's, it's really fun. But uh, you can either outline or I typically am what's called a pantser, uh, which means you sit down and you start writing by the seat of your pants. Okay. <laughs> because I know my content. I know, you know, essentially the flow and the progression of what I want it to be. Right. Um, you know, once somebody has their manuscript written, if they want to, you know, have us take a look at it, have us work with them, they can reach out to us on our website uh, or uh, via the content, uh, the contact form there, which is emeraldlakebooks.com, or they can email me at info at emeraldlakebooks.com. If somebody is a little more engaged and they really know that they're ready to take the next step, they can actually fill out an application, which is emeraldlakebooks.com slash application. Uh, you know, and so those give the next steps for kind of working with us. Um, but whether you're going to work with us or not, you know, when you're writing your manuscript, make sure that once you've got that draft, that you share it with some beta readers, uh, some folks that are going to give you feedback that's honest critiques of the material so that you make it as strong as you possibly can before you start trying to pursue getting it out there too far, because that's a uh, really good information to have. I like recommending that you know, if you have a coach or you have a business partner or you have somebody who really gets what it is that you do, um, talk with them. <laughs> I get it, son. That's okay. <laughs> talk, talk with them about what your goals are for the book. One of the first exercises we do with many of our authors is called the Dear Reader Exercise. Okay. And in the Dear Reader Exercise, we have our authors write a letter to their reader. And it hits on a couple of main uh, topics. One is, you know, who the reader is and what they're struggling with who the author is and what makes them different than other people who do the same thing. Mm -hmm. What the author's promise is to the reader that if they invest their time and money in purchasing and reading the book, what are they going to get out of it? Right. Tell you, it's a really emotional experience to write because it gets the author back in touch with their why. What are they trying to accomplish? Why are they writing this book? Who is it for? And when you do that, we actually take that and, and give it to our editors mm -hmm. because now the editor has a clear and concise understanding of what the author is trying to accomplish as they're reading the book. And so it enables us to come back with kind of suggestions for improvements, way of ways of strengthening it. Uh, one author we did this with, it was really kind of funny because she was getting ready to finalize her manuscript and she was very passionate about her book. She was writing on the topic of um, sales training that was going to be geared towards mid to large size companies. But her sweet spot for her coaching business was entrepreneurs, network marketers, and small businesses. Hmm. So we're that's a problem. At, yeah, <laughs> that's a problem. You're not you're you're establishing your authority maybe with the wrong demographic. Exactly, and it's yeah. funny because sometimes it takes somebody else to point that stuff out to us because we get so heads down in writing that we don't see right. what we're doing. Even with me, uh, I have two editions of one of my books called The Plan That Launched a Thousand Books. It was the first book that I wrote, and it's a do-it-yourself guide to creating your book marketing plan. And I put it out there originally because people needed a way, I, I needed a way to connect with people so that they understood who I was and what I had to offer. 
and I needed it at a price point that people really couldn't balk at. Mm -hmm. And so I created this book. I updated it a couple of years later. I was getting ready to update it a third time because the tools and techniques change over time. And I realized in talking with my business partner that it made no sense to update that particular book because the DIY market isn't really who we're pursuing anymore. As a publisher, that book first came out long before I had a publishing company. As a publisher, I want those folks that are willing to invest some time and money into creating a book that helps them build a business and build a brand and build the visibility that they need in order to succeed in the way they want. And so doing a third edition of the plan really was not going to get us that audience at all. Right. Uh, certainly wouldn't be on this particular podcast with you. If I'd written that book, I'd be looking elsewhere. So, you know, having this, instead setting that aside and focusing on published with purpose, which is, you know, everything about what we do and who we are and how we operate these days uh, made so much more sense. But it took a conversation with my business partner to even see that I was almost wasting my time where I was spending it. You were spinning wheels. I was. I was doing what I thought I needed to do, not what I, you know, not stepping back and figuring out what will benefit my business the most. Right. And that comes down to your brand again and who your brand is actually targeted to. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And if someone is going to be writing, you know, nonfiction in this scenario, if it's going to be um, more of the drier, the research, the, the collegiate, the, they're trying to go into that type of tomb of a book. Is that something that you work on as well? Or is it something sure. more that's lighter? No, uh, we, uh, we've actually, our tagline in terms of who we're looking to work with is we want to work with positive people who have an enlightening, entertaining, or engaging message to share with the world. Okay. For us, uh, we've worked on books <laughs> that have gone, one of our most popular books is in a highly niche category that is called Stress-Free Chicken Tractor Plans. Talk about wow. dry. Talk okay. about talk, talk about instructional. Um, but it, it is stress-free. It is stress-free. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what's really neat for this particular guy is when his book got out there, he was immediately on Amazon next to, as he referred to it, his idols, the people he got into the business for because of the books that he read from them. Right. So he was thrilled with it. At this point in time, the tractor the, that he developed is known as the Siskovich tractor, which is his last name. Okay. And so talk about building a brand around something, you know, dry. <laughs> um, but he's very clear on who his market is. And he's very good at delivering the content they, that they're, they need and look for. His YouTube okay. channel has over 90,000 subscribers. Um, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, when we published the book, he had 34,000. So he's grown a lot in the last two, three years. Yeah, um, but that was 34,000 to start is an awful lot, actually, on yes. YouTube for yeah. someone. That's a tremendous audience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Who knew? I mean, there is an audience for literally everyone out there. We find the niche markets are the best. The more you can niche your content, whether it's dry or, or, or not, uh, the better it is. Uh, one of our books that's doing really well right now is, is the future of omni-channel retail. And prior to having a conversation with the author about his book, I had never even heard of omni-channel retail. <laughs> right. um, and yet this is, this is a gentleman who uh, is very academic. He's British. And so, you know, he can, he can be a little dry sometimes, and the material is um, really well-written, really well-researched. And the neat thing is, is that he proposed this whole framework for looking at omnichannel retail that nobody else has ever proposed before. Mm -hmm. 
And so he started with no audience, no platform, but his goal was he wanted to build a coaching business around it, a consulting business. And we're in the midst of finalizing a website for him right now that's related to it. But since the book came out less than a year ago, he is in multiple university marketing programs now. He has spoken at a lot of different colleges because of that via Skype and webinar. He's doing consulting with some very large retail brands that uh, has him very excited. His very first fan letter came from an entrepreneur in Singapore. <laughs> you know, we're okay. based in the U.S. He's in, in New York. Uh, you know, so it, it's just, it's really interesting because that book is your calling card that never sleeps. You know, it works for you 24-7 and it works for you no matter where in the world you are. Okay. Um, you know, which is, is really neat. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, so can you just one more time share where people can get this magical, wonderful book that you have written that opens the doors to all things that none of us ever knew you needed to know? <laughs> yes, you can, you can uh, find a description of it with, with buy links on our website. So if you go to emeraldlakebooks.com slash purpose, You'll find links to it on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, on Smashwords, and, and on our own store as well. Well, Tara, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. And Thanks, now Lisa. I know what to be looking out for as I travel this road ahead of me. And to our listeners, I hope that you enjoyed the conversation as well. And thank you for tuning in to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'll talk with you on our next podcast. <laughs>